0: A, uh, I think it was a family camp service one night and it was a very animated service. Uh, it was loud. I don't know who, let them contro- who controls the sound up there, but it was way too loud. Like I was yelling the entire time and I said, that's the bad churcher. I like the good churcher. So Pastor Hopper has been the good churcher ever since then and I promise I won't yell too much and uh, we'll probably be out of here pretty soon. Uh, my brother just asked me when pastor said I was going to be speaking in a few minutes, said it's going to be a long one. I just kind of looked at him. He knows it's not going to be a long one. So, but today I want to start off a little bit different with a small story. I want you to think about the world back in about the 18, early 1800s. And if you could just picture a small village. And in that village there was a, a young teenage boy, and uh, this kid was in charge of watching that village's sheep. As a young kid watching sheep, you could imagine how boring this would be. You're just sitting there day in and day out, just watching stupid sheep every day. And not even just your own sheep, but you're watching your neighbor's sheep, you're watching the entire village's sheep, and you know that the other sheep don't listen as good as your sheep, and that they just keep wandering around. And if it was only your sheep, everything would be perfect. But Everybody else, they don't know how to control their stuff, so you're just there stuck watching all these people's bad sheep. And as a teenager, could you imagine if you have a teenager, teenage son, what they would do if they were just sitting there watching sheep all day without a phone? Be pretty bored, wouldn't they? Be pretty terrible. Excuse me. And you know the bad thing, one of the worst things about sheep are, is that if they get stressed, they can just die. If they get stuck in a bush or something, they'll just kind of just roll over and die. I think that happened to a Wyatt's one time. He had a little sheep or a lamb, and it got stressed, and it got stuck in a bush or something, and it, it just died. So, guys, you thought your wife was dramatic. At least you don't have a sheep. Sheeps just die for no reason. But before I get into myself any more trouble, this guy was watching these sheep, and uh, one day he was bored, and so he decides to have a little fun, and he yells, Wolf, there's a wolf coming. Help, help, come help, come help. And so the village comes immediately, they have their pitchforks and their fire ready to, to get rid of this wolf, but as they get there quickly, they see the, the teenage boy just sitting over there kind of laughing, Said, hi, you guys came here, you know, they were mad, and so everybody returns back to the, their own responsibilities, and a, a, few day pa- a few days pass by, and the kid is bored again, he said, you know what was really funny a couple days ago? is when I yelled wolf, let me try it again. So he yells, Wolf, Wolf, come quick, come quick. And at first they were just looking, are you sure there's a wolf? And they said, no, for real, there's a wolf this time. Come on. And so of course they all they all come running again to protect the herd. And uh, of course the kid again can't contain his laughter and the town angrily angrily this time walks back to the village and even his own parents who believe we all believe our kids can do no wrong now they're starting to see well maybe my son does a little bit wrong here and there and so they go back and and part of the story that never really made sense to me is how come they didn't find this kid a different job he obviously he wasn't cut out to watch the sheep You found he did it twice he fooled you twice just get him a different job but they didn't and again a, a few days maybe a week passed by but this time it's a little different. This day, it's a little foggy, but the boy makes something out in the shadows, and, and notice the herd is starting to act nervous. He, and he hears the wolf attacking a sheep, and he yells for help, and nothing. Nobody comes to help him. Then the wolf gets another sheep, and again, he yells for help, and still no one comes to his aid. And, and finally, he tries to do his job and protect the sheep, but the wolf took the boy as well. Most of us know the story of the boy who cried wolf and what the story teaches not to lie and not to make something out of nothing and uh, don't, it's not nice to trick people. But today I want to talk about the man who cried God, about the man who cried God. And I want to talk about, and uh, the story takes place in Judges 13 and verse number 24 and or really at the beginning of Judges 13, but we're going to skip down to 24. And it says, The woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. In verse 25 it says, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Esau. I can't say that. that's the best you got. that's the best you get from me. But talking about Samson today, most of us know about Samson and Delilah. That's a story we're very familiar with with Samson, and we know that he can't cut his hair. But there's more than that to his power. There's more than that to his vow that he made. Samson was a Nazirite. A Nazirite is not where you're born. It's not where you live, which a lot of the things, like the Philistines and like the tribe of Judah, it's where you're from, it's where you're born, and all this different stuff. But Samson was a Nazirite, and a Nazarite just means that he made a vow, to God to live a certain way that He made a vow, or in this case, it's his parents made the vow that he would that he would live a certain way for a time, and this vow isn't there; it doesn't cover your entire life. It's as however long you decide to be a Nazarite. Right? You can be one one day, and honestly, you could quit the next if you so choose to break your vow. But he, his uh, his de- the what it costs to be a A Nazarite is the sacrifices you have to make is you can't eat anything from the vine can't drink anything from the vine you can't cut your hair which most of us knew that and then you can't cut touch a carcass a dead thing a dead body and that's and it even uh, goes into specifics as saying to save a family member or to touch your dead family member you can't do that either so it was a very serious vow But we skip down to Judges 14, and it says, in verse number 5, it says, Then Samson went down, and his father and mother to Timnath, and came to the vineyards of Timnath, and, behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. He killed the lion pretty easily. And he went down and talked to the women, and she pleased Samson well. And after a time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating, and came to his father and mother, and he had gave them, and they did eat. But he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. See right there, Samson already broke his covenant with Jesus. So right there, he's already you already see Samson starting to break his vow that he made to be a, to be a Nazarite. We jump down to the beginning of chapter 15, and Samson wants to have a baby with his wife, but his father-in- law wouldn't let him go through because he gave his wife to Samson's best friend because a few chapters later, a few verses later, uh, she tried to give him away to the Philistines, and, and the father-in-law thought Samson hated her. And he tried to bargain with Samson and said, that, how about I give you my younger daughter? She looks better anyways. Don't forget about that old hag. You can have the younger one. She's got a lot more to offer. But Samson wasn't having any of that. If you If you've never read your Bible before read it because these these stories are pretty crazy right the i always think that we all these people that make movies if they would just make some good movies about the bible you don't have to add any special effects you don't have to do any of this other stuff the bible is a great story there's great stories in the bible and people say the bible is boring i really truly believe it's because they haven't read it before they haven't took the time to understand it because could you imagine i mean this is stuff you would see in on movies now that the father-in-law gave the daughter away to be married to his best friend and the bible is crazy but he didn't want that instead he decided to take his anger out on all the philistines he tied up 300 foxes and he set their tails on fire and burned the entire place burned all their crops burned everything to the ground in verse 6 of chapter philistines the philistines asked who did this And, of course, they say Samson did it because his father-in-law gave his wife to his best friend. And they knew they couldn't hurt Samson because they knew how strong he was. They knew how tough he was. They go and kill Samson's father-in-law and his wife for betraying Samson. And I think they did it to get on Samson's good side. Not to get back at Samson but say, hey, they're the reason you're upset. We just took care of them for you. Leave us alone. But Samson didn't look at it like that and Samson wasn't having it. The Bible calls it a great slaughter. Was what he did next. He went and slaughtered everybody using a hip and thigh bone and again breaking his covenant with God. And after that, he went to a place in Judah. And the Philistines came after him again. This time surrounding everyone. And the Israelites, they started asking him, what's going on? Why are all these Philistines coming to get us? What did you do to make them so upset? And he said, why would you come here and hide knowing that they're going to come kill us all? You just put us all in danger. Why are you being so selfish? There was 3,000 Israelites came up to him and said this to him. And And Samson said, okay, I'll give myself in. As long as you promise not to kill me yourself, I'll surrender. I give up. So... They said, of course they're not going to kill you, but we do have to bind you with ropes. We do have to tie you up. So they took two new ropes and they tied them up and they delivered them to the Philistines. And it says, the Lord came mightily upon him and the ropes fell off of him. And he picked up the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand men. So the Lord came mightily upon him, even though he already broke his covenant with them because he was doing something for God. He was defeating the Philistines, which is his sole purpose in life. Which, I know the Bible says thou shalt not kill, but there's a whole lot of slaughtering going on. But where would Pastor go? I know he said it the other day, it was between David and and Jesus. He didn't want to get in the middle of it. This is between Samson and Jesus. I don't want to get in the middle of everything they had going on. But the thing I took from this is that 3,000... Israelites came to Samson and said you have to turn yourself in. So they outnumbered the enemy 3 to 1 because Samson killed a thousand of them by himself and they surrendered. They surrendered. So I don't know if there was more than a thousand, the rest just fled because it doesn't say, but in my mind there was 3000 Israelites and 1000 Philistines and they killed the and Samson killed them by himself. If those israelites would have stood up for uh themselves or they would have fought with fam- uh with samson they could have easily destroyed the philistines they could have had a bigger victory but but again samson took something that he wasn't supposed to touch to kill the enemy it matters how you fight your battles it matters how you fight your battles but even after that when samson was done he was he was exhausted. You could imagine after slaughtering three, uh, one thousand people with with the jawbone, you'd probably be pretty tired. And he went to God and he cried to God. He said, "I know you just seen me do all this. I know you just seen me slaughter all these people. I'm tired. I'm hot. You got me in the desert killing all these people. I need something to drink." And God filled the pocket of the jawbone with water, and he drank out of it. I want to stop here for a second and just talk about the people in the bible all the time that we look at the people in the bible we make them out to be superheroes we kind of immortalize them we make them like the modern day avengers if you watch any superhero movies like they're from another world it makes it easier that way i believe to kind of read the Bible if we just think, wow, these people are just at a completely different level than we could ever be at. So it kind of just makes it easier. It takes some of the responsibility off of us. Almost like the stuff they did was so amazing, we could never do anything like that. When we look at our superheroes today, they can fly and everything else, and it's so unrealistic. But the thing about the characters in the Bible is that it's, the Bible is recorded history, The Bible isn't, there's parables in the Bible, yes, but it isn't just made up things. This stuff actually happened. It's not just a comic book, but it's a history book. These are men and women with real flaws, with real mess ups, with real mistakes that even in spite of all their shortcomings, even in spite of everything, God still uses them in a great way. So, that we can't just say we're off the hook because we mess up. These people were perfect. That's why God uses them. That no, even though, in spite of our flaws, that sometimes the biggest ego we have is our insecurities. Because we're so caught up in ourselves, say, well, I'm not good enough. Well, I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, our insecurities are get so big that our ego gets so big that we forget how big our God is and that even through all of our insecurities even through all of our mess ups even through all of our mistakes that God will still use us in a mighty way if we let him one of my favorite movies a coach asks his these troubles uh, troubled kid what his uh, biggest fear is and the kid, of course, just randomly asks him that when he's doing things he's not supposed to do. And the kid kind of looks at him crazy, has no idea what he's talking about. And he asks him the same question several times throughout the film. And finally, towards the turning point in the film at the end, and uh, when all the kids start to get things figured out, he, looks at, he stands up and looks at the coach and he says, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other, other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Isn't that just the call of God in our lives? That sometimes we feel afraid to let God move in a mighty way. We're afraid to shine because we think it's going to outshine others but it's our job to shine as a lighthouse it's our job to shine so that other people can see what it's like to be a children of God it's not our job to be downbeaten. it's not our job to be in debt it's not our job to be the lowest of the low it's our job to shine it is our job to be brilliant gorgeous talented and fabulous it is our job to be a child of God playing small does not serve this world playing small does nothing for the person next to you Playing small about who your God is does nothing for the world. We need to let us let people know that our God is big. We need to let people know that we are successful because of who our God is. Not because of our insecurities, but in spite of our insecurities, God is still great. In spite of our shortcomings, God is still great. And that's why we are who we are. That's why that God has blessed us with successful positions. That's why that God has given us favor. And that's why that we are able to shine a light because God has done it for us in spite of us sometimes. But we don't need to let that down. We don't need to not let that light shine. God has called us to be great. He has not called us to be low. He has called us to sit up high. And I believe that as Christians we need to get out of that mindset of fear to shine, of fear to be great, and fear to do great things for God. It's really easy to come and sit on a pew and just listen to somebody preach for probably 15 minutes or in pastor's here for close to an hour. It's easy to do that. Oh, he's bad. I knew he was around here somewhere. I knew I'd get something from him. It's easy to do that. That takes no commitment. That takes no sacrifice. It's only an hour. That takes nothing. But it takes real Courage. It takes real sacrifice. It takes conviction to really be used of God, to really do something for God. We skip back to Judges 16, and in the chapter, or verse 1, it says, Then Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot and went unto her. And uh, what my son, he he would call that a hussy. He went and found a hussy, and he laid with her. In verse 2, And it was told, the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither, and they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. So they finally got him in a compromised position. They finally found the chance to get him. In verse 3 it says, Samson laid till midnight and arose at midnight. And what did he do? He took the doors of the gate of the city, not the house of the city, and the two posts, and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders, and carried them up to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. It doesn't even say anybody tried to stop him. In between verse three and verse four, it says nothing about anybody trying to stop him, anybody trying to fight him. He just walked out of that house, picked up the gates of the city, the posts, the bar, and everything, and just went on his way. Nobody, could you imagine, all right, you go, you go first, it's hard. He's, he, all right, he's up now, he's walking out, let's go get him. And everybody's looking at each other like, who's going to move first? And then he probably seen them standing there, and he just picked up the gates to the city and just walked away. Could you imagine how defeated those people had to be? See, in verse 4, it says, And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, and the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lies. And by what means we may prevail against him that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give thee every one of us 1,100 pieces of silver. So I don't know if that, was, that equaled 1,100 pieces of silver between all the lords or each lord was going to give 1,100 pieces of silver. But they were so tired of Samson bullying them. And the Israelites probably bullying them as well. I could picture it, them walking uh, through the market and Israelites just jumping at them, flexing at them, all the Philistines. And they just had to take it. They just couldn't do anything about it because as soon as they made it move back to him, we're going to go tell Samson. Don't do anything. That, we'll tell Samson. Yep. So the Philistines were tired of getting bullied. They were, they were going to find a way to kill Samson. They were going to find a way to get Samson. The Philistines were going to break the bank to get rid of him. And I I was getting ready for it, you know, just reading over this, and I I thought about Judas for some reason. I said, he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He was a terrible negotiator because this lady got 1,100 pieces. But that's just how my mind works, and I know that's not right. But in verse 6 it says, And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy strength lie wherein thou mightest be bound to afflict thee and we all know the story right so they try and samson says if you bind me with seven uh green withs that were never dried, then i will be weak as any other person and so the philistines they brought her seven green withs uh and she bound him with them and now the men were lying wait abiding in her chamber and and she screamed, uh, the Philistines are here, Samson. And he broke out and easily, and there was nothing that could stop him. And Delilah said to Samson, she made it his fault, you mock me, you tell me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, how can you be bound? And we're down in verse 11 now, and it, he, said, he said to her, if, if you use new ropes, that were never occupied. And if, if you were paying attention earlier, the, the Israelites already bound him with new ropes, and when he got down there, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and easily shugged him off. But same thing, Delilah took the new ropes and bound him up and said unto him again, The Philistines are, are upon thee, Samson. And and there he was. He got up and broke them off and like nothing was even on him. No problem. Verse 14, she fastened it, she fastened it with the pin and said unto him, the Philistines are upon thee. And he awakened out of his sleep, out of a dead sleep, and just got rid of him. That's just crazy. And she said unto him, how can you say you love me, in verse number 15, when your heart is not with me? How can you tell me you love me when you keep lying to me? Not that how I love you because I keep trying to get you killed, but how can you say you you don't love me when you keep lying to me. How Your heart isn't with me, and, and you don't tell me why you're so strong. And she started to stroke his ego and say, you're so strong. Why, I just want to know why you're so strong. Is it because of me? What's going on? And then this is when someone was brought to my attention when I was reading this, and I started to think, this is why you can't serve two masters. Because I truly believe that Samson loved God. With all my heart, I believe that he loved God, and I believed he loved his people. But at the same time, he was loving somebody else or loving something else that he shouldn't be loving. And he was caught right there in the middle. And for so long, you can, you can manage that. Me, if I stood on something that was thin and I tried to walk on a railing, I wouldn't be able to be on the middle of it very long. I'd be off of it one way or the other. But Samson, he was trying to, to stay in the middle. And the Bible says anything that can be shaken off will be shaken off. And and one day he was shaken off, and he fell onto the wrong side. And she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed to death. He was ready to die to shut her up, is what it said. She was nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging. It is not a new tactic. It's been here forever. But... He was ready to die to get her to leave him alone about it. He would have done whatever. He would have done whatever house project she wanted. He would have painted the baby room with a toothbrush if it would have got her to stop. But he was tired. He would have put up Christmas decorations in June if she wanted to, if she would have just left him alone. My wife is looking at me crazy. I better go along. But... She nagged him. She was nagging and nagging and nagging. And and then verse number 17, he told her all of his heart. See, he he reserved part of his heart for God still. He reserved some of it. He he told her part of it. He told her some things. And, you know, he gave her part of his heart. But he, he had reserved his promise to God that the Israelites, that his people would be the most important thing. So he gave her his heart, his, all of his heart, and said unto her, There had not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. He knew he wasn't like anybody else. He knew he was special. He knew he was called apart. He knew he was different. And when Delilah saw, she just knew that this time that he had told her all of his heart. She sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come come up, for he has showed me all of his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came to her and brought money in their hand. Money talks. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep and said, I will go out of this as at other times before and shake myself. And when he went to shake himself, he found out the Lord departed him. He didn't know the Lord departed him. See, we like to we like to think that we serve a God that no matter what happens, He's going to get us out of any bad situation. No matter what happens, there's not going to be that bad of consequences. But it says, He didn't know, in verse 20 it says, And he did not know that the Lord was departed from him. He laid with sin again. He played with sin again because he knew he could shake himself like he did the other times. He knew that if he just got up and shook himself, that the Spirit of the Lord was going to move in a mighty way. He knew that the Spirit of the Lord moved in a mighty way when he defeated the thousand men. He knew that the Spirit of the Lord moved in a mighty way when water came out of the jawbone of a donkey. He knew that the Lord had moved in a mighty way In the camp when he was a kid, he knew he had anointing on his life. He knew that the promise of God was on his life. He knew that if he just got up, he could shake himself off again and the Spirit of God would be there. He knew that. But what he did not know was that the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. He cried God one too many times. He cried anointing one too many times. He thought that the vow that his parents made was foolproof. He thought that no matter what he did, he he got away with touching the carcass of the lion. He got away with touching the hip bone of a donkey. He got away with this stuff, so he thought that no matter what was going to happen, the Spirit of God would never depart from him. No matter what he would do, he would always be safe. He would always be victorious. He would always come out on top. But that's not the case. He thought he could live any way he wanted to because Jesus loved him. Because he was used for God. He thought that there wouldn't be any consequences to the decisions he made. But I want to tell somebody today, just because you felt the presence of God before, just because you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, just because you have done stuff for God, that you you don't get to live in sin and think that you can just shake it off one day. You need Him. You can't just claim you are a Christian in the moment. You can't call on your past experience. You can't rely on your anointing of yesterday. You can't rely on the, par- the prayer life of your parents, or the, the vows your parents made. I-, I believe it's important to have praying parents, to have a praying grandparents, to have a praying church back you up. I wouldn't be here today without them. But you can't live off of your parents' prayers forever. You can't live off the vows of your parents forever. We can't live, young people, younger people, my age, we can't live off the work that the generation did before us. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot. There has to be something inside of you that says, okay, I'm going to pave the way. We've walked an easy, smooth path for a long time, but it's going to take some work to plow the field ahead of us. It's going to take some work to carve out the road ahead of us. It's going to take, they used to blow dynamites through mountains to get tunnels to get through them. It's going to take somebody willing to do the hard work to get to a new destination. It's going to take somebody to carry the torch. It's going to take somebody to say, I'm not satisfied with what our parents did, I'm not satisfied with what the generation before us did. It's going to take some people to do that. We cannot live off of yesterday's success. We cannot live off of yesterday's achievements. And you skip down to verse 21 and it says, The Philistines took him and put out his eyes and they brought him down to Gaza and they bound him out with fetters of brass and he, he did grind in the prison house. But the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Which tells me just because you mess up, just because the Lord departed you, just because you were living in sin and you couldn't find God, that he will be there again. That if you start to grow your relationship with God again, if you start that journey again, if you start to grow back some of the things that you took off, that God will not forsake you. He will not leave you alone. That he will be there. See, we think that God, that this love that God has for us is kind of like a how a man is supposed to love a woman. You know, do everything for, but it's more of a father-child love. Is that if you don't love your child, you will never discipline him. But if you love your child, as parents know that sometimes you have to discipline, and sometimes there will have to be consequences. If we could all stand this morning, I'm wrapping up this this tale of Samson, this tale of the man that cried God happens way too much. I've had a lot of my friends that had a call of God on their life fall away because they thought you can live however you want. And that when you need to shake yourself off like Samson did, it'll be there. That the Spirit would just move and, and everything would be fine, everything would be okay. They, We know that God will never leave us or forsake us, but... Sometimes we do have to deal with our consequences. Hell is still real and it is still hot. There, there's a preacher and his favorite, his famous line is that after every service, I, I want to leave the place knowing I'm going to go to heaven. After every service, I need to know that that if I walked out of this church and something crazy was to happen and I didn't make it home, that I need to know that I, I'm going to make it to heaven. So today I, I want to do something a little different. I want you to come up to this altar today, but only if you fit in one of these three categories. Wait till I'm, wait till I'm done so then so not everybody knows what category you're in. If you're new today, and you haven't been baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost and I think today is that day for you. I think today is the day that you can walk away changed, that you can let God come, you can can get baptized, you can be filled with the Holy Ghost today. Group two, if you are someone that has been coming for a long time, that you felt the power of God in your life before, you've done things for the kingdom of heaven, but you know in your heart right now, you know deep down that you aren't where you once were. That that fire has dimmed. That maybe it used to be a big flame, but now it's just smoldering ashes. That right now, if you needed to shake the bondages of the enemy like you've done before, it wouldn't work. So we have so far, with the two we have so far is if you've repented if you haven't repented, been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, you're in group one. And group two is you just don't know where you stand with God anymore. Your life has become caught in between the world and the kingdom of God, and you know you need to rededicate yourself for him, to him. In group three, this might be the most important group, but if you are on fire for God, you know that if you left this world today, you would be on a first-class ticket to glory. Then you are in that third group and your job is probably the most important today. You come up and pray for others, pray with and for others around you because you know that you're right with God. You know that if you were to shake, you know that the presence of God is on you and that you know that He can move mightily through you. So today, I'm getting, when I finish, Pastor's going to sing, he's going to play if you fit in one of those three groups today, I'd like you to come to this altar. I'd like you to either give yourself to God for the first time, to, to feel what it's like to have his love come inside of you, to feel what it's like to be called the child of God, or, or to, to rededicate yourself to him. And third be a part of the church today and do and work in the kingdom do the kingdom work today pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ these altars are open today come today